0: I decided that a teaching on marriage uh, at Shalom Macon was long overdue. Don't worry if you're single, if you're divorced, if you don't want to get married, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about that. This isn't, just, th- this isn't just any marriage teaching. As a matter of fact, you've probably never heard one like this before. As I prepared it, I found that it evolved into something quite different than it initially started out, but this is about... Well, as the title reflects, you can tell that it's uh, more than a marriage message. But it is about a woman and a man. It's about a bride and a bridegroom, but not just any bridegroom. This one's about a bridegroom of blood. Coming to a theater near you this Friday, blood bridegroom. Stephen King's, have you, I'm just kidding. All right, any guests are up and out the door right now. They're like, what is happening here? It's all right. It's the Bible, right? We just started a new book of the Bible, Shemot, the book of Exodus. Welcome to it as we dive into this very, very strange, mysterious story in Exodus for The Bridegroom of Blood. You know the story? At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched his feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Huh? What in the Bible? All right. First, let's 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 back up and make a little bit of sense of how we got here. Okay. as I said, new book, Exodus, maybe maybe my favorite book. I'm not sure. But a lot has happened just getting to chapter four. Everyone knows Moses' story, I'm pretty sure, so I'm going to summarize this, but here's how it goes. Yocheved, his mom, has Moses. Miriam, his sister, convinces Pharaoh's daughter that she should raise Moses, right? Names him Moses. He's raised in Pharaoh's house. He kills an Egyptian because he's beating a Hebrew slave. Pharaoh gets wind of this, wants to kill Moses, so Moses leaves He has to flee. He flees to Midian. He lives and works there as a shepherd. He marries a girl named Zipporah. Her father-in-law is Jethro. We'll see him again. He's an important dude. Then Moses has an encounter at where? The burning bush. God says, go, challenge Pharaoh, the guy who wants to kill you. Tell him to let your people go. Moses argues, says, no, I can't do it. God says, you can, and you're going to, because I'm going with you. I'm sending your brother, and this is how it's going to happen. That's three and a half chapters. Puts us into the middle of chapter four. You with me on that? Moses has taken the job, and they're on their way. Then, this super weird thing happens. The bridegroom of blood incident. Zipporah took a flint, cut off her son's foreskin, uh, put it on Moses' feet. Who knows what's going on here? Richard Freeman is, uh, Friedman is a great... Torah commentator, academic professor, sort of a out there dude. I'm going to come back to him. But he has these words of wisdom about this particular incident in the Torah. No one knows what is actually going on at the lodging place in this episode. That's why there are a lot of interpretations, but let's face it, it is pretty weird circumcisions at the hotel, touching dad's feet with the foreskin, bridegrooms of blood, and murderous angels? It's odd. And what does this have to do with marriage? Men are getting nervous that I said this was going to be a teaching about marriage. <laughs> I want to give you a unique perspective, but first I want to give you a traditional perspective. Okay, A couple, actually. One, and then an academic, and then crazy. Drawing this from the from one of the rabbinic opinions the commentary, I'm drawing here from actually right out of the Art Scroll Humash. This is the way this is explained. Moses set out from Egypt with his wife, and it says sons, but at least we know one newborn son here. We don't actually know. There's debate about which son is actually being circumcised. But we're going to know that it's a young son, not yet circumcised. And here's the take. This is the summary. Because Moses had not circumcised him, he wasn't diligent about circumcising him, an angel was sent to kill Moses. It's pretty serious, but it's more complicated than that. Because listen, Rabbi Yossi says, Moses... Heaven forbid that Moses wouldn't care about something that important, right? Heaven forbid. So here's what was actually happening. There's this problem. Should they circumcise the child before they left Midian, for the three three days the child would be at grave risk because of the operation that had taken place. So that's a problem. It's too risky. Or he could, Moses could circumcise the boy in Midian and then wait three days in Midian before he left. That would alleviate one problem, but it creates another. Because God told him, go, you have to go. So he, I mean, then he'd have to delay the trip three days in Midian. So it's either way, but he made a decision. Moses' decision was, we'll leave immediately. Okay, we're gonna take the go commandment seriously. We'll leave immediately, but not circumcise them. God obviously knew we were gonna have a newborn at this time. He said, go, let's go. Fine, they set out. The text tells us that on the way, this occurs in the lodging place. It says bemalon. Malone in modern Hebrew means hotel. So they're on the way, and here's the problem. Upon arrival. Rather than immediately circumcising the boy when they arrived, because now they were close enough to Egypt now that if he had circumcised them here, he could that it would have been fine. But rather than Moses immediately circumcising the child when they arrived, he went in to make arrangements. Ding, ding, four to check in. And that was a bad move, according to traditional interpretation. You see, even though circumcision is not, not circumcising a child is not a capital offense, the most righteous people like Moses are held to a higher standard. And in this case, he didn't make the cut. And then an angel grabbed Moses in such a way that Zipporah knew what was going on. Who's Zipporah? His wife. wife. She, She knew what was going on and what was about to happen. So Zipporah did the deed. She saved Moses' life, actually. She stepped up, got it done. So in this story, a star emerges Zipporah, the heroine, saved the day. And in reality, the nation of Israel in, a, in, in like a looking way forward way. Have you ever thought about that? If Moses dies out here, we got a problem. And listen, we've heard the quote. Behind every great man is a woman rolling her eyes. <laughs> Behind every great man is a great woman, right? We've heard that. Let's pause to reflect on that for just one second. Because that's not exactly how Judaism sees women. Women, the more beautiful, sensitive, and insightful side of the human race. All of those things, but in Judaism, most definitely considered more spiritually in tune. More spiritually in tune. So, It wouldn't be surprising that even though Zipporah is a Midianite, that as an insightful, spiritually in-tune woman, that she would know what was going on. And she saw, and she took action, and she did this thing. And she is, therefore, this, this strong woman, a woman of strength. That's one traditional interpretation of the bridegroom of blood. Here's one from Academia. Okay, Professor William Propp, he wrote an anchor Bible commentary on Exodus. He's very, very well known. But here's, the, here's, here's his take on what's going on in the, in the hotel with the bridegroom of blood. Moses killed a man in Egypt, right? He did. And that that action has never been made right. And so, resting upon Moses is the blood guilt for taking a life he deserves the death penalty for taking a life He's approaching Egypt now. There's been no reconciliation that we're aware of. There's been no clearing of the blood guilt. So actually what Professor Prop suggests is that this has much less to do with the son and the circumcision, but it's really about satisfying the blood guilt that was on Moses. And there is a unique factor here that's interesting to consider. There is, how many have ever seen a circumcision performed? Is there blood there? Yes, there's blood in a circumcision. And in this case, this creates something unique, doesn't it? A unique foreshadowing of what would happen in Egypt on that fateful night on the 10th plague in Passover. It is the blood of the firstborn there that, well, in this case, if we're assuming that it's the firstborn child, which would be possible, What we're seeing is that we have this aversion of the decree of death on Moses by blood. You follow me on that? The boy is circumcised. His mother takes the foreskin, touches it to Moses' feet, thereby averting the decree of death. Does this sound something familiar? It's not human sacrifice, the child didn't die. But Rabbi Ibn Ezra, who is a very literal commentator, said this, Zipporah touched the foreskinned blood to Moses' feet in hope that the merit of circumcision, like the blood of the Pesach offering on the doorpost, would avert the decree, and indeed it did. Moses lived. So think about this interesting thing. Foreskin blood Saves Moses' life, right? Blood on the doorpost saves Israel's life. Blood of Yeshua saves the world's life, actually. It's a very interesting little thing. Who'd have ever gotten that out of the bridegroom of blood story? But again, what I actually want to focus right here on is Zipporah. Don't miss Zipporah. Zipporah is the one who did the thing. The spiritually connected, insightful, sensitive woman sees what's happening, and through her action, God is not only saving Moses, but sending him a message about what was going to happen in Egypt on the 10th day. He had already, I mean, on the 10th plague, he'd already told him. But there's this incredible foreshadowing. Zipporah, a woman of insight, spiritual aptitude, a woman of strength, brilliant but I wanna give you one more perspective because I promised you a marriage message. Let's back up for one second and just talk about logic in terms of what we're talking about. It doesn't make a lot of sense in, in either of these interpretations. It doesn't make a lot of sense that after all it's taken for God to get Moses out of Midian and on the road and almost to Egypt, that all of a sudden he says, hap, going to kill you out here. <laughs> ha ha! Joke's on you, Moses. Talked you into it. Now I'm going to kill you. Don't, I mean, wouldn't it have made more sense that maybe God would mention that in Midian? Hey, Moisha. Hashem here, listen, a couple of things. I'd like you to circumcise a kid and you haven't made it right about that murder thing. So before you set out so that I can really go with you, let's take care of that. It doesn't make sense that, that this is the way it would go. Putting him and the family on the road and then saying, you're gonna die out here. So I know that the traditional perspective I mentioned, again, one of them has some merit, so does the other one. Each one has Zipporah doing something special. But let me get to this last interpretation courtesy of Dr. Richard Friedman. He is, as I told you, a Torah commentator and an academic, so he takes a lot of license with interpretation. I love it. I love what he does in so many ways. His commentaries are pretty unorthodox. No pun intended, but it makes you think. So let me start talking. uh, Let me introduce with a discussion about pronouns. I'm Damien. My pronouns are... I'm just kidding. (laughs) I do mean some confusion around a pronoun that occurs in the story. Him. Listen. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched his feet with it and said, "Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me." So he let him alone. And then that, and that was then that she said, "A bridegroom of blood." Do you hear all the hymns there. We have three hymns in the story: God, Moses, and the infant. At a night encampment, right? Hashem encountered him and sought to kill him. That's that's a thing. But there is agreement among commentators that this text is ambiguous. God might have wanted to kill Moses, or he might have wanted to kill the uncircumcised child. It doesn't really make it super clear. But either way, neither of those sound like something God would do. Kill his hero or kill the hero's son for a non-capital offense. It's odd. So Friedman offers an innovative, and definitely in the minority, translation. Here's how Dr. Friedman's commentary reads. And he was on the way at a lodging place, and Hashem met him, and he asked to kill him. I'll read it again. And he was on the way at a lodging place, and Hashem met him, and he asked to kill him. Do you see? I don't know if you would see, because I would never see it. Meaning, on the way, Moses asked God to kill him. God take my life rather than making me do this. That's outrageous. That's blasphemy. That's ridiculous. Remember what I said at the beginning. No one really knows what's going on here except Hashem and Moses and Zipporah. Even the baby doesn't know what's going on. Please remember, though, also... That later, this Moses, having completed the work of the Exodus and the the receiving of the Torah at Sinai and all these things, the much stronger and more confident Moses, the leader of Israel, also later says what? God, kill me if I have to deal with these people, kill me. There's actually a biblical precedent for Moses getting to that level. But this situation is different. First of all, other other great biblical figures have done the same thing. Elijah, Jonah, Jeremiah at one point curses the day he was born. But this is Moses. I know it is. The same Moses who earlier in this Parsha was afraid to approach the burning bush to see God. The very same Moses, who five times in various responses, even in up to these fourth chapter, has said, I can't do this! Get somebody else. Now let me ask you, has anyone ever been there? Where is here? Facing a confrontation of absolutely everything, epic proportion that you want to avoid, that you simply do not want to do it. Stage fright is putting it very, very mildly. Terrified of something that lay ahead of you that you have tried to avoid, but now it is right there. Imagine the scenario. Sure you have, first of all, Everybody has had something that they're terrified to do, right? And you're like, no, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. Please don't make me do it. Please don't make me do it. I'd rather die than have to do this. But let me say this. You have never been asked, no matter how terrified you may have ever been to do something, you've never been asked to take your family back to a foreign land ruled by a despotic ruler who wants you dead, and then go in and say, oh yeah, dude, by the way, my God told me that you, the most powerful man in the world, should let all my people go. Now let's get it done. How many of you have ever been tasked with that? No one has, right? I already told you. The traditional first commentary I shared with you said that Egypt was close. It was close to the lodging place. So Moses is like, you can imagine it. He sees Egypt in the distance. It's like unavoidable. This is going to happen. And he just has a breakdown. I can't do this, God. Just kill me. The Torah is filled with stories of human beings. Real emotions and struggles and Moses' resistance, his reaction, the first redeemer. It only amplifies the truth of Torah and his weakness. Moses was afraid. There's nothing wrong with it. In Hebrew, we say, aval, but... Zipporah. Consider his wife, his support, his encourager, and in this case, the courage that he had to have. Genesis 2.18 says, God, God says about the man, I will make a helper corresponding to him, a strength for him, a partner who is equal and complementary, standing, kenegado Opposite him, intellectually, emotionally, especially when needed, spiritually. So, let's forget that thing about behind every good man is a good woman. Let's take the Jewish perspective, which says, sometimes, literally, opposite the man is the woman saying you are going to do this. Or beside the man is the woman walking and saying, you can do this. Zipporah. But how does circumcising the child have anything to do with any of that? Moses wanting to die. How does that help? Here's what I love most. in this woman of strength, woman of insight, woman of connection to the bigger picture. The circumcision is actually the most powerful thing she could have done. Why? Here's the thing. Circumcision is the covenant sign of the Jewish people. It is the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. God made promises to Abraham, did he not? That they would live in slavery they'd live in another land but that he would bring them back to the land and circumcision was the sign the seal of that covenant and the spiritually in tune helper Kinegado supporter encourager of moses his wife zipporah says to him moses i know you're afraid do it anyway You have to. And she was very passionate, even from the words like, you become a bridegroom of blood. What what does this mean? She was very passionate saying, you have a wife and sons. Sons who are to be part of the covenant of Abraham. Sons who are inheritors in this promise. You can't leave us. You can't run from this. You can't avoid the calling. So the circumcision is the reminder to Moses of the obligation to carry on. This is a covenant seal. You must do it, Moses. You must be faithful to what began with Abraham and will continue through you. This is the seal, despite the fear. It's a very weird thing that the text says. She cut off the foreskin of her son and touched it to his feet. You're a bridegroom of blood to me. That's weird. But allegorically, then, if you'll allow me. Babe, I know you're afraid. Let me see your foot. (laughs) You got to keep walking. Now go, let's go. The covenant of Abraham and the salvation of your people depends on you. I am beside you. Your boys are behind you. Let's go. Speaking of go, Zipporah, you go, girl. <laughs> this is real life. This is what marriage is supposed to Look like. A man and a woman doing God's work together, in this case, the unspoken heroine that she is, Zipporah, the helper, the strength to have Moses change his mind, accept his responsibility, and say, Bring it on. And he does. The text says, And he relented. Friedman says, He said, Forget it, God, don't kill me, I'm going to do it. By the way, as a side note and a life application moment, when you're in one of those moments where you are terrified to do something, or scared, nervous, anxiety, whatever the case is. I don't remember where I read this, what study, what book, what author, maybe it was Phil Stutz, maybe it was Brene Brown, one of those people. When you're feeling that incredible anxiety, we call it butterflies in the stomach, it's more like nuclear bombs in the stomach sometimes. When you feel that, do you know what you do? Psychologically, do you know what you do to overcome that? You say five words: "Bring it on, I'm excited." Not even a joke. You say it out loud if you can. "Bring it on, I'm excited." Back to this. I had. I, you had to know that. I don't do a lot of Shabbat messages about marriage because I want to speak to everyone. I don't want to alienate anyone. I don't want anyone to feel excluded. If you're not married, don't want to be married, no problem. There is still a message here for you. If nothing else, bring it on. I'm excited. You can take that one. But allow me today to say this. Women, and especially wives, who support in so many ways the entire world. Through your care and your love, your unselfish giving of everything you have to those around you, husbands, kids, for all the spiritual insight, the fire, the close connection to God, the deeper side of life that you bring to our attention. Thank you. I was writing these words on my anniversary this week. Approaching three decades of marriage to a woman who's given so much to the world. There have been so many times. I think maybe why that Friedman commentary speaks to me so deeply is because of the number of times in my life when I have failed Miserably, lost my way, wanted to quit, been afraid, said I can't do it. But the helper opposite me, sometimes literally in front of me, yelling at me, (laughs) saying, babe, you gotta keep walking. So thank you to my Chayil. Thank you for all the times you've Zipporahed me. <laughs> so, my friends, there's some insight there, though, from one of the most confusing stories in the Torah. Who ever knew? Who knew you could get that out of the bridegroom of blood, rated R? <laughs> but the truth is, I want you to train yourself, men especially. I want you to train yourself to see the strength of women in the text. When they're mentioned, even in some obscure, weird story about circumcisions and killing angels, I want you to train yourself to see them as they should be seen. And men, be thankful to God, those of you who have a wife, that he knew it was never gonna be good for you to be alone. Cherish your wives, appreciate them, understand them, respect them, adore them. And whatever interpretation you would like to lay claim to today, I gave you three good options. We can all be thankful though, that Zipporah was there when Moses needed her most. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for connecting with Shalom Macon. If you would like a deeper connection, please visit us at shalomMacon.org. And if your connection with Shalom Macon has been meaningful and enriched your life, please consider partnering with us to accomplish greater things for the kingdom. Visit shalomMacon.org give to make either a one-time contribution or set up recurring giving. And thank you for being a builder, not a bystander.